Today I'm continuing to teach about Joseph, learning lessons from Joseph. That's the title of this teaching that I have, Lessons from Joseph. And I tell you, this has saved my bacon more than once. And I've just been trying to take the uh, truths that I've learned that I've applied to my life and share them with you. And I tell you, if, if this does half as much for you as it's done for me, this could be a life transforming uh, revelation for you. It's amazing to me how most people do not turn to the Word of God and learn through the things that God's recorded in the Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11 says that these things were written for our admonition so that we can learn through them, not to lust, not to murmur, not to complain, so that we can benefit from this. And yet the average Christian, they just don't go to the Word of God. It's like they have to learn all of these things through their own hard knocks instead of taking uh, lessons from these people. But boy, I have learned volumes through Joseph. And I pray that this has been a blessing to you. We've already covered a lot of things. Uh, I'm going to pick up in Genesis chapter 42. And this is after Joseph had come out of the pit into the palace. He is now the ruler over Egypt. And for nine years, when he had absolute control and power, and he could have brought God's vision for his life to pass through his own strength and power, he didn't do it. He kept depending upon God. He was totally waiting on God and God's timing. And for those nine years, he just did what God had given him to do. He was ruling the land of Egypt. And in Genesis chapter 42 is where his brothers came down into Egypt to buy food because the famine had hit the land of Canaan and they didn't have any food and they had heard that there was food in Egypt, so they went down. And when they got there, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. You got to remember, he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery, and this was 22 years later. So Joseph at this time would have been, what does that make it, 39 years old? And uh, Joseph had changed a lot from 17 to 39, but his brothers were much older than him, and I'm sure that they looked very similar uh, to the way that they did, you know, when he was 17 years old. So he was able to recognize them, but they didn't recognize him. And Joseph started doing some things with his brothers here that I've heard people interpret this, that this was bitterness on his part and that he was trying to punish his brothers and he wanted them to suffer like he had suffered. And I'm telling you, that is absolutely not the case. And I think many people have said, well, why not? Because that's what they would have done. And so they just su suppose that this is what Joseph was like. But I'm telling you, you don't have the things in Joseph's life. You don't see this character, this maturity, this quality, this excellence in a person who's full of revenge and hate and stuff like that. That's totally inconsistent. I believe that there's another explanation of why he did this. And as I go through this, I'll make these points more clear, but let me just say this up front, that his brethren were wicked, wicked, evil men. Some of you may not realize that, but Reuben, the very firstborn of Jacob, is a man who committed incest with his stepmother. Simeon and Levi were two men that got mad at these people in the town of Shechem because the son of the king of Shechem 
had had sexual relationship with their daughter, Diana. So they lied. They got these men to put themselves in a position that made them vulnerable. And Levi and Simeon went in and killed hundreds of people, wiped out an entire city in vengeance and took the women and the children and all the cattle and everything as spoil. I mean, it was brutal. It was vicious. There's no way to whitewash this. <clears throat> that was not God's will. That was just evil, evil man. Judah, the next born of Jacob, is a man who committed incest with his own daughter-in-law. And you can just go down the line. And even the ones that didn't do something that was, you know, considered uh, worthy of prison or something like that, they all consented to selling Joseph into slavery and selling him as a slave. They were wicked, evil men. And instead of Joseph doing these things to his brothers that he did because it was vengeance and bitterness and he was wanting them to suffer, I believe that Joseph realized that God was going to use him and his position to bring these evil, wicked men to the end of themselves and to see them finally broken to the point that they would humble themselves and turn to the Lord. I'm telling you, if this evilness hadn't have been stopped in these brothers, it would have just been reproduced on through their generations and the children of Israel would have been more wicked than the people in the land of Canaan that God drove out. I don't believe that Joseph's actions here were punitive at all, but they were corrective. It, he was using the position that God had given him with the knowledge that someday his brethren were going to get rid of this hatred, this bitterness, this pride and arrogance, and that they were going to be brought to the end of themselves and humble themselves and be repentant and turn to God. So here in the 42nd chapter is where all of Joseph's brothers, all except the youngest one named Benjamin, 10 of his brothers came down into the land of Egypt to buy food. And Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. Here in verse 23 it says, And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them with an interpreter. So what this is talking about is when they first came down, Joseph looked at them and started asking them some questions and said, Who are you? Where did you come from? How many brothers do you have? Do you have a father? He was asking these questions, and so they didn't understand that they were in trouble. They were just answering the questions. They said, yes, we have a father. He's an old man in the land of Canaan. Said, we've had, there were 12 sons. One of them is not talking about Joseph. They were counting him as if he was dead. And the youngest is still with his father at home. And he said, no, you're spies. You've come here to spy on us so that you can attack us. And boy, they were just taken back. No, we're honest man. And so he said, nope, you're spies. And he says, this is how I'll know that you're not spies. He says, you'll have to all be kept in prison and you choose one person to go back and you bring that young brother that you talked about to me. And if you can't produce him, then I'll know that you were just lying to me and I'm going to take you as spies. And he could have killed him. So for three days, he put all 10 of these brothers in prison. And at the end of three days, he came back to him and he says, look, I fear God. Now, and as it says right here, this verse we read, that uh, he was speaking through an interpreter. So they didn't know that, that he could understand them. And he says, I fear God. You, you leave one of your 
uh, brothers here, and it turned out it was Simeon. They left Simeon in prison, and the other nine went back, and the only way they could ever reclaim Simeon and come back and get more food was if they brought this younger brother, Benjamin, back. And when he put these conditions on them, they were just shocked. And they were speaking among themselves and they said, you know what? All of this is happening because we saw our brother cry to us and beg for mercy. This is referring all the way back to Genesis chapter 37 when they took Joseph, stripped him of his coat and threw him in this pit. In Genesis uh, 37, it doesn't say that Joseph said a word, but here they're referring back to it And let me just read this to you. And verse 21, they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben said unto them, spake unto them saying, spake I not unto you saying, do not sin against the child and you would not hear. Therefore behold also his blood is required at our hand. And the next verse says they didn't know that Joseph could understand them. But Joseph began to hear them finally relate the bind that they were in at that moment all the way back 22 years before when they had sold him into slavery. It touched his heart. Probably it touched his heart to hear that Reuben had planned to come back and save him because he never knew this detail until right here 22 years later. And it said that it moved Joseph so much that he went into another room and wept, and he had to compose himself and come back. Again, this is not the reaction of a bitter person who's doing these things punitive just to punish and hurt his brothers because they had hurt him. This is someone who loved these brothers, and he realized God had put him into this position, and God was going to use him to break these wicked people and finally have them realize that you can't live the way that they were living and prosper. They needed to recognize that there were consequences to their ungodly living. And Joseph was just using his position to bring these brothers to the end of themselves. So finally, he only kept Simeon and he released the brothers and they went back home. And they told their father, Jacob, about all that had happened. And Jacob got mad at them. Like, why did you tell him that you had a younger brother? And they said, well, we didn't know what he was going to do. We were innocent in all of this. And so uh, Jacob said, no, I'm not going to let Benjamin go down. He says, I've already lost Joseph. Now I've lost Simeon. Basically, uh, Jacob was willing to let Simeon rot in jail rather than run the risk of sending all of them back with Benjamin and losing Benjamin too. For those of you that aren't familiar with this story, Benjamin and Joseph were the only two sons of Rachel. And Rachel is the one that Joseph really loved. Leah and the concubines were not his real, they weren't his favorite wives. He loves Rachel, but he only had two children by Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Jacob believed that Joseph was already dead and he just could not stand the thought of losing Benjamin. He had already had Rachel die. And so this was the only, um, you know, uh, the only child left to him of his favorite wife, and he just wasn't willing to do it. So he refused to let them take Benjamin back. In chapter 43, it goes and talks about that the famine was so severe that they had run out of the first food that they had bought. And so the brothers came to their father and they said, we've got to go back and get more food. We're going to starve if we don't have it. 
And he says, no, you can't go back. And he says, we've, we've got to go back. And says, well, then you're going to go back without Benjamin. And the brothers said, no, we won't go without Benjamin. This, the ruler of the land told us plainly, if we came back without Benjamin, yeah, we could all die. We could be taken as spies. And so finally, out of necessity, Jacob gave in and he said, all right, I'm going to let you take Benjamin with you, but he says, take all of these gifts, all of these presents. They took dates and figs and they took all of these things as an offering and they took it back. Also, the very first time when they had gone down to buy the grain and as they came home, they found that all of their money that they had uh, paid for this grain with was back in their sack's mouth. And that had caused fear in them, like what's happening? So Jacob told them to go back, take new money, Plus, take the original money and just tell the man that, you know, they don't know how it happened, but here's the original money that we should have paid. Here is our second uh, payment for more grain and go back and just ask for mercy. And finally, Jacob said, if I be bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. In other words, there was no alternative. And so they went down the second time. And when they came the second time and when Joseph saw Benjamin his youngest brother, which at that time, Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. We don't know exactly how old he was when his younger brother, Benjamin, was born. But I suspect that Benjamin could have been, you know, less than 10 years old when Joseph was sold into slavery. And so uh, I'm sure that 22 years later, he was a totally different person. He was a grown man. And uh, I, it just moved Joseph to be able to see his younger brother, the only brother that didn't participate in selling him into slavery. And Joseph was touched by it. So Joseph had all of his brothers come home to his house and he threw a feast. And so they came in. They went to the steward of Joseph's house and they told him, says, look, here's our money that we brought the first time. And when we got home, we found that this money was back in our sack's mouth. We don't know what happened, but they were totally up front and they told him, says, here's this original money and we want to pay it back. And this steward said, don't worry. Says, your God has blessed you. I'm the one that put the money back in the sack's mouth. Man, there is no telling how this affected them. Why would anybody do that? What was going on? And here they were brought into Joseph's house to eat with him. Who were they? I mean, I'm sure that, that fear... Uh, questions were just dominating these people. They didn't know what was going on. At noontime, Joseph came in and he uh, talked with them briefly through an interpreter and he sat all of the um, brothers from the oldest until the youngest. Now this is significant. It makes mention of this in Genesis chapter 43, verse 33, it says, They sat before him, the firstborn according to their birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men marveled one in another. You know, it'd be easy to pass over this. But here's the significance of this. How did Joseph, how did anybody there know who was the oldest and who was the youngest? And yet they were seated exactly according to their birth order. How could anybody know that? How could this happen by coincidence? There was 11 of them. How could this just happen? This was 
They marveled at it because they knew something is happening. How did anybody know who that Reuben was the oldest and then Simeon and then Levi and then Judah all the way down to Benjamin? How did they know this? Plus, when they brought the food to the people, Benjamin, it says in verse 34, and he took and sent messes, or in other words, portions unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess or portion was five times so much as any of theirs. Man, this was amazing. Not only did somehow they know the order of all of the birth of these, but Benjamin, the youngest one, was given five times as much food, which I believe was reflective of the fact that this was the actual physical full brother of Joseph, the only brother who didn't participate in selling him into slavery and it just revealed Joseph's love toward him. But boy, just get the picture of this. It was amazing. And here they were eating and drinking in the home of the most powerful man over all Egypt who they had been fearful of. And yet somehow or another, he had returned their money into their sacks. He knew their birth order. He was favoring this youngest son. What was going on? And so after they had eaten and everything, Joseph uh, dismissed them and let them go. But he told his steward to put his special cup in the sack of the youngest one and then send them out. So they left and they were headed home. And after they'd just gotten a short ways out of the city, Joseph sent his steward and he says, you go tell them that one of you have stolen the, my master's cup. And so when he confronted them with this, this is in uh, Genesis chapter 44, they said, no way, none of us would have done that. It says, if you find that cup among any of our stuff, let the person that that cup was found in his sack, let him be, uh, you know, a slave to Joseph forever. And so the servant said, okay, according to your word. And he started at the oldest. Again, this is one of those things. How did they know who was the oldest? But they started at Reuben and they went down through every single sack. And when they finally got to Benjamin's sack, there was the cup. And the people, th these brothers were just shocked because Benjamin was the one person that they could not leave. They had to bring him back. Judah and Reuben had actually promised their father that if they didn't bring Benjamin back to him, that he could kill their sons. They were willing to substitute and sacrifice their sons for Benjamin. So Benjamin, it was just absolutely non-negotiable. Benjamin had to go back with them. But this steward arrested all of them, brought them back to Joseph, and Joseph... Uh, you know, appeared to be angry and says, don't you understand that a man such as I can tell that you have taken something from me? And he says, now on this younger uh, brother, he's going to be my servant. He'll be my slave. The rest of you, I'm letting go, but he has to remain here. And they just could not uh, do that. It looked like that they were all going to be just slaves, that Joseph, in a sense, you know, they sold Joseph into slavery. It looked like Joseph was going to take them as slaves and make these 11 brothers their, their slaves. And they were not going to allow Benjamin to go back. He would have let the others go, but he was going to keep Benjamin. And they said, no, we can't do this. And so let me just share with you this, where Judah finally came to Joseph. Of course, at this time, he still didn't realize this was his brother. And he just began to confess to him what was going on. 
And I'm not going to read all of this, but let me just say that he gave a brief history of the family, talked about they had this one brother that was not, which was talking about Joseph. And of course, that was a, a polite way of referring to him as being passed away. The truth was he was sold into slavery. He didn't come clean with that. But when it came to leaving Benjamin, here are a few of the things that um, Judah said. And let me just read this in verse uh, 30. This is right after uh, Judah is reporting that Jacob had said that if Benjamin doesn't come back, that I just can't live. His whole life was wound up in the child. And so here's the plea that Judah is making with Joseph in, in Genesis chapter 44, verse 30. It says, Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass that when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of, of my father, my, of, of thy servant, my, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For the servant, be, for thy servant, talking about Judah, talking about himself, became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Judah here is showing a compassion towards his father and saying that if I go back and I don't have Benjamin with me, I'm going to bring down my father's gray hairs to the grave. It'll kill him and I'll be responsible. How could I live with this? So here's, here's one of the first things. When 22 years before, when they sold Joseph into slavery, they didn't care about their father. Now some of you may find that hard to believe, but if you go back to Genesis chapter 37 and read this, they took Joseph's coat they stripped it off of him. They killed a lamb and put the blood on this jacket. And then they came back. And they didn't just out and out say that Joseph is dead, but they set it up. That's what it looked like. They were, you know, pre presenting this evidence. And they told their father, says, uh, you know, judge, whose coat is this? And he immediately jumped to the conclusion. And he says, it's Joseph's coat. He's been torn in pieces by a wild beast. Surely he's dead. And he began to mourn. And if you go back to Genesis 37, it talked about that the sons rose up to comfort him and to, to help him get over his grief. And he refused their comfort. And he says, I will go down to my grave mourning for my son. Did you know if they had any compassion towards their father, Jacob, at that time, all they would have had to have done is to say, well, he's not dead. We lied to you. We misrepresented it. Uh, we sold him into slavery. He's still alive. And that would have totally changed this whole situation. Possibly Jacob could have gone and have bought him back or something. But they were more concerned with themselves. They didn't want to be shown for the, for the ungodly, evil man that they were. And they kept up this ruse for 22 years, watching their father suffer every single day for 22 years. I don't know how many of you have experienced the loss of a child 
or you've been close to somebody who has. I, I have not suffered the loss. I, well, I did. I suffered the loss of a child for five hours. But praise God, God raised him from the dead. I've never been through the things that some people suffer, but you're never the same. I believe that God will help you to get over it and that you can prosper, but you're just never the same. I mean, that's a part of your life that's gone. And for 22 years, Jacob suffered every day. And these men, these ungodly men, watched their father suffer and they cared more about themselves than they did about their father. Again, that speaks volumes, volumes right there about what these guys were like. And I believe that this is the very reason that God set things up the way that He did and led Joseph to do what he did because he was trying to bring these guys to the end of themselves to where they'd care more about somebody else than themselves. And so when Judah is confessing these things right here, he talks about how that his father would just die if Benjamin didn't come with him. His life is bound up in the, uh, the life of the lad and he can't do that. He can't bring himself to do this. And so number one, this really shows that finally Judah had gotten to where he cared more about his father than he did about himself. And he was not willing to put his father through any more suffering. So that shows some repentance. That shows a change right there. So that was important. They needed to come to a place of change, repentance, to where they were willing to live differently. And here's Judah humbling himself and saying, I just can't do this to my father. You know, he should have come to this 22 years before and have humbled himself and not let his father think that his son Joseph was dead this whole time. And then he goes on to say that um, he, he would become surety and he would be the one that would stay. And he offered himself to be a slave to Joseph if he would just let Benjamin go back home. Now, you know, Jesus said, No greater love hath any man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Here is Judah coming to a place to where Judah says, Take me. Make me a slave. He didn't have his wife. He didn't have his children with him. He was willing to stay there without his family to lose everything. He literally laid his life down so that Benjamin could live. And again, that's the greatest expression of love that there is. You know what? God had done a work in these guys. If you go back to the very first time they appeared before Joseph, they were talking among themselves and it says they didn't realize that Joseph could understand what they were saying. But they said, all of this evil has come upon us because we saw our brother plead for his life and we didn't do this. And therefore, this is just retribution. It's justice. And so from that first time, which could have been a year before or whatever, they had been living under this that, uh-oh, our sins are finding us out. You know what? They were confronted with the fact that they didn't really get by with anything. God was going to set the scales right. Things were going to work out. And so they had started humbling themselves. And right here is Judah humbling himself, putting his father ahead of himself, and finally willing to offer himself as a slave for the rest of his life if they would just let Benjamin go. I tell you, that's major. And I, it's only reported that Judah is the one that said this, but it appears that every single one of these brothers had basically come to the end of themselves where they were just saying, you know what? We deserve all of this. We brought it on ourselves. 
we're now going to take the punishment, we're going to deal with the consequences, and they were just going to set things straight. And I believe that that's what all of this was about. This was what God wanted. Let me just say to you, before I go on with the rest of this story, that you know what, there are some people that you think you've gotten by with, but you, you don't get by with anything. You know, everything you do, everything you say, you're either sowing seeds of good or seeds of bad. Now, I do believe in forgiveness. And I do believe that God forgives us and totally wipes our sins away. And I believe that when we repent and when we turn to the Lord and when we appropriate what He has provided for us by faith, that we can have a crop failure, that you can stop those negative things that have happened in your life from coming up and haunting you and having to live with the consequences the rest of your life. Praise God for Jesus and our freedom and deliverance from the curse of the law. But it does have to be appropriated. We do have to turn from those things. A person who, you know, let's just take a person who's, say for instance, was a drug addict or an alcoholic or something like that and all of the consequences of that going on in your life. And then you come to the Lord and you receive forgiveness. I believe that you can appropriate total cleansing so that you no longer see yourself as a druggie or a dope addict, uh, an alcoholic any longer. You, you see yourself totally brand new, who you are in Christ. I believe that you can do that, but it's not going to just happen automatically. Just because you receive forgiveness doesn't mean that you're automatically going to receive and experience the freedom and the liberty that is available to you in Christ. You have to appropriate it. And one of the ways you appropriate it is you can't sit there and dis dismiss it and say, well, there's nothing wrong with it and I'm just going to continue to live as an alcoholic or as a drug addict. Did you know if you were truly born again, God will love you. And if you were to die, you'll go to heaven. But if you just continue to live that lifestyle, if you never turn from it, if you continue to sow those bad seeds, you're going to continue to reap negative results. You're going to have your body fail. You'll hurt your health. You'll have your job fail. You'll have marriages fail. You'll have relationships fail. People will lose respect for you. Your witness is compromised and on and on you go. And even though you're forgiven and you're righteous in the sight of God, there are consequences to the way that you live. And so these guys needed to change. They needed to repent. They not only needed to stop doing these things, but they needed to humble themselves. And this is what God used Joseph to do, was to just bring them to the end of themselves. And Judah is the spokesman for the whole group. And he showed that he had finally gotten to where he was not willing to cause his father any more grief and suffering. And he was actually willing to lay down his life and become a slave so that his brother, all of his brothers, could go free. You know what? They don't use the wording right here, but that's repentance. That's true conversion. Judah was a changed man. Judah had become a different person. Prior to this time, let his father suffer for 22 years, lie to him about the death of Joseph, and it didn't matter. He was going to put himself ahead. He wanted free from the aggravation that Joseph was to him. And he didn't care if his father spent 22 years grieving. He had changed. Prior to this time, he just promoted himself, even had incest with his own daughter-in-law and then came that close to burning his daughter-in-law with fire and putting her to death because she had gotten pregnant when she wasn't married. 
And it turned out he was the one that had gotten her pregnant. And he, he just was a vile, wicked man, but here he is laying down his life for somebody else. This is repentance. This is conversion. And they had to come to that place. And brothers and sisters, you have to come to that place. If you've never made Jesus your Lord, you can receive complete forgiveness. I mean, these are some bad dudes. These are some evil people. And yet, they found repentance. And they found forgiveness. And God went on and used these guys. It doesn't matter what you've done. God can totally forgive you. And if you've already receive forgiveness from the Lord and you are forgiven and if you were to die, you were to go to heaven. But if you are still sowing these seeds and if you are living your life in opposition to God and not cooperating with Him and not following the Word, you need to recognize that you need to stop that. You need to come to an end of yourself and doing things your way. And you need to start doing things God's way. And these are some of the lessons that I learned from this. Again, many people just think that Joseph was punishing his brothers and trying to make them suffer. No, he was trying to bring these brothers up to a different level of living than what they had ever done, to where they cared more about somebody else than they did themselves, where they'd start operating in honesty and integrity instead of lies and deception and all of the things that they were doing. And I believe Joseph was an instrument of God. This was God's will to change them. The Lord didn't only want to deliver them from starvation. That was part of it. But He also wanted to change these evil men so that they could become godly men and that this could pass on through their children and that these people could be God's people. The Lord loves you and He wants to forgive you, yes. But even if you've been born again, He wants you to quit living in a way that just empowers Satan to come in and to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to set you free. You need to come to a place of repentance. You need to turn from doing things your way. You and Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. I guarantee you all throughout hell, I believe that he has suffered ever since then thinking about I did it my way. That is not the way to live. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the way of death. You need to turn from your own wisdom. You need to submit yourselves to God. You need to come to the end of yourself. And that's what God used Joseph to do with these brothers, was to draw them to the end of themselves. And it is typified right here in this 44th chapter of Genesis where Judah humbled himself, repented, put his father first, and even laid his life on the line and said, Make me a slave. I'll be a slave for the rest of my life if you'll just let my brothers go. Man, that's awesome. Would to God that every one of us would humble ourselves and quit blaming everybody else and just griping about everything and recognize that, you know what, most of the problems that we have, we bring on ourselves. Satan is going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He can't just devour everybody. I'm not saying that you necessarily cause every problem in your life. But if we submit ourselves to God as Joseph did, God will eventually take even the negative things, the things that Satan does, and work it together for good, and you'll come out smelling like a rose. If we are living in defeat and things aren't working, that's never God's plan for us. It's because somewhere along the line, either you sowed for those things and you're reaping what you've sown, or if other people just attacked you instead of staying faithful and keeping in faith and 
looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, as Joseph did, you got into discouragement, bitterness, depression, and you allowed Satan to steal from you things that God has for you. But either way, whether it was directly seeds that you've sown or just attacks and you haven't stood against the attack, God can turn these things around. But it begins with you. It begins with you humbling yourself and submitting yourself unto God. So in chapter 45, after Judah had actually been willing to give himself to be a slave for the rest of his life, it says in chapter 45, verse 1, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Boy, what an understatement. I would have loved to have been there. I'd have loved to have seen exactly how all this went down. I've imagined it a hundred times and, you know, I've got a picture of what this was like, but I could just imagine that these men were, I, I mean, shocked to the point that it, it could have just stopped their heart. They could have died on the spot. It was, it was overwhelming to think this guy who's been, we've been dealing with, who is the second most powerful man on the earth is our brother that we sold into slavery. Not only would that shock them to even think about how he rose to that position, but then to recognize that the one that they had wanted to kill, that they denied him, hated him, spoke evil to him, was now their Lord and had their life in their, his hand. I guarantee you the shock, the amazement, and then the fear and the dread of what might happen. I would have loved to have seen this. I would have loved to have seen it. And you know, there's a comparison here that there are many of us that have just done things that we've been insensitive. We've done things our own way. We just have been hard-hearted. We leave a string of broken lives in our wake and we just go on as if nothing has happened. There is coming a day just as surely as these brothers were had, to, had to confront everything that they had done to Joseph. There is coming a day that each one of us is going to have to confront the things that we've done. Now you can either do that in this life and humble yourself and receive the mercy of God and you can live in joy and peace with total clear conscience and know that you are forgiven and that God doesn't hold your sins against you. You can do that in this life, but if you don't do it in this life, I can guarantee you just like this, there is coming a day where all of these braggarts, all of these people who were shaking their fist in the face of God, who were bragging about their immorality, their debauchery, who portrayed it on screens, who loved to watch everything that was vile and against the things of God, all of the stuff that they seem so, you know, just so adamant against God in this life. There's coming a day that they're going to stand before God. And in the same way that Joseph's brothers were shocked, like, how could this be? No, I, I couldn't have believed that this would happen. And then fear and dread came on them. What's going to be the response? There's going to be a day that every person stands before God and gives an answer. And these braggarts, are going to be reduced to not able to say a word. 
You know, I've heard a lot of Christians before say, man, I can't wait to get to heaven, and I'm going to ask God about this, and I'm going to ask Him why He did this and why He allowed that. No, you won't. When you get before God and when you see His majesty and His glory, how awesome He is, you're going to be speechless. Unbelievers are going to be speechless. There's not going to be anybody saying, this is unjust. You shouldn't have done Everybody's going to know our guilt. We're going to stand before God. And even if you have received your salvation and you no longer are fearful of total rejection and punishment in hell because you know that God has forgiven you, you're going to see the glory of God and you're going to say, praise God I didn't ask that stupid question. You're going to realize that we've got no right to question God over anything. Anything that has gone wrong, it's not God's fault, it's ours. It's our own misunderstanding. And... This just to me, I can see all of that right here with Joseph and his brethren. Man, they were totally shocked, totally amazed, probably terrified, wondering what is going to be the result of all of this. And in verse 4, it says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. You know, if they had had any doubt about it, this would have removed their doubt. I mean, they didn't recognize Joseph because he was only 17 when they sold him into slavery and now he was 39. So it's understandable that they didn't recognize him. But if they had any doubt, is this really Joseph when he says, whom you sold into Egypt? There's no way that anybody would have known about that. Certainly not anybody in Egypt unless it was Joseph. This just was a proof to them that this is our brother. This is Joseph. In verse 5, it says, Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Here's Joseph trying to comfort his brother. Again, see, this is another indication that Joseph didn't do these things to get even out of vengeance, out of anger or bitterness. He was doing it using his position in a godly way to just help these guys finally come to the end of themselves and quit being such jerks. And it's shown right here because he said, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. He wasn't wanting them to be condemned and depressed. He was trying to comfort them. He realized all of a sudden uh, the realization that was hitting them and that maybe they were terrified that, oh no, is he going to take us as slaves? Is he going to kill us in retribution? And he's trying to assure them. And look at this in verse 6. It says, for these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. So this right here dates all of this. It says in Genesis chapter uh, 41, verse 46, that Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. Here he is nine years later. That's what he's saying. Seven years of plenty and then two years of famine. So nine years added to those 13 years since his visions made him uh, 39 at this time, or 22 years after his brother had sold him into slavery. And so he's telling them that there's still going to be five years of famine. Go back home. I'm sending wagons with you. I'm sending soldiers with you. You pack up all of your belongings. You bring your father. You bring your families. You bring everybody back. We're going to put you in the very best part of the land of Egypt and we are going to take care of you and sustain you until this famine is over. And so here he is showing tremendous kindness, tremendous favor to these people. Again, there was no bitterness on his part. He was just 
God was using him to bring these guys to a place of repentance. And so it says in verse 13, And you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. Boy, this is another thing I would have loved to have seen because for 22 years they had lived a lie, had kept up the ruse that Joseph was killed by animals, and they had been lying and manipulating their father for 22 years. Now they had to face the music. Now they had to go back and tell their father that Joseph wasn't killed. And not only did he somehow or another escape and wind up in Egypt, they had to confess to him that we sold Joseph into slavery, that we have lied to you for 22 years. We have been watching you grieve daily for 22 years and not even caring about you, just keeping up our life for our own advantage. Man, that would have been hard. But they had no option. They had to deal with it. It would have been interesting to know what Jacob's response to this was. I would suspect that because the rest of the book of Genesis doesn't even mention Jacob rebuking his his sons and, and condemning them or being angry or anything like that, I would suspect that the lack of mention of this means that J Jacob got over it. And uh, later on, he prophesied over all of his children and he prophesied good things to many of them and stuff. And so it doesn't show that there was any bitterness. Probably he was more relieved and excited about Joseph still being alive than he was upset with his other brothers. I'm not saying that he didn't have some of those feelings, but he dealt with them. But anyway, Joseph gave a specific command to tell his father of all of his glory and of all of the things that had happened unto him. And then it says in verse 14, he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Again, Benjamin is the only one of these 11 brothers who didn't participate in selling Joseph into slavery. And so there was a bond between Joseph and Benjamin that hadn't existed between these other brothers. And uh, they hadn't seen each other for 22 years. Benjamin didn't even know that Joseph was alive. Apparently he fell under this same lying deception that was told the father. And uh, anyway, he just wept and, and fell on his neck and kissed him. And then in verse 15, it says, Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them and after that, his brethren talked with him. Again, the very fact that here they are confronted by their brother who they had just, they had come close to killing him. They had sold him into slavery. They hated him. They had caused him untold agony and suffering. And now he's the second most powerful person in the world. I'm sure that they were terrified of what the retribution would be. But here he is kissing them and hugging their necks and weeping. And because of that, it says, after that, his brethren talked with him. Joseph confirmed his love unto these brethren. And you know, there are so many parallels in this to all kinds of things, but this, Joseph is an example of Jesus. That you know what? Jesus gave his life for us. He sacrificed. And yet we are the ones that actually caused him to die. 
You know, you've heard some Christians talk about that the Jews crucified Jesus. The Jews may have been the nation that he was crucified in, and it was the high priest and the people of that day. But it was my sin. It was your sin that caused Jesus to die. And we don't really understand the fullness of that. We don't know how much God hated sin. I don't think any of us fully understand that. You can tell that by looking around today. People are looking at people that are doing things that are absolute abominations in the sight of God. And today it's no longer taboo. People have always sinned, but they used to be ashamed of their sin. Now they have parades and brag about it and they boast about it. And we have just lessened sin to where it's no big deal. I guarantee you sin is a big deal with God. Now it's been taken care of through Jesus, but not because God just changed His mind and no longer is sin a problem. No, it's because He paid a price for our sin. Jesus suffered for our sin. And when we stand before God and when we all of a sudden begin to start thinking the way that God thinks and all of a sudden our culture is no longer dictating what morality is, but we will go back to true standard, to, uh, you know, plumb, to where we see things correctly, I guarantee you there's going to be people stand before God and realize, man, my lifestyle, I deserve the wrath and the judgment of God. And I believe that in the same way that Joseph had to just hug and kiss his brothers and confirm his love unto them so that they could even tolerate to speak to him, there's going to be some of us stand before God and when we see the mess that we've made of our lives and the mess we've made of other people's lives, Man, there's going to be a holy fear of God. What, what do I deserve? What's going to happen to me? And the Lord is going to wipe away tears from our eyes. I don't believe that that means that we're all going to limp into heaven and we've suffered so much in this life that when we get to heaven, we're all crying and God has to wipe tears away from our eyes. I think a lot of it's going to be when we get to heaven and all of a sudden we know all things, even as also we are known. And we realize what we have done and how we have neglected and rejected God and how we ruined our lives and hurt the lives of other people. There's going to be believers, Christians, who are just shocked and realizing, oh God, what a substandard life I live. How I settled for so much less. How I caused so many problems. And I believe that God is going to have to come and confirm His love to us and wipe tears away from our eyes so that we can enter into heaven and enjoy it. So I get all of these things out of Joseph right here. To me, this is a picture of how Joseph reached out to his brothers to encourage them. Likewise, God reaches out to us. And here's one of the last things I've got time to share about this. But in Psalms 105, talking about all of this, in, uh, let me just read a few of these verses. In, uh, it's talking about the children of Israel and how that they passed through many different nations and God protected them and said, Touch not mine anointed. This is Psalms 105, 15, And do my prophets no harm. Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land and he broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. This is talking about Joseph. God gave Joseph a word through those two dreams in Genesis 37 two, 
And that was the word of the Lord. He didn't have a Bible like we do. God spoke to him through these dreams and communicated to him that he had a purpose, a destiny for his life. And it says that until that word came, or in other words, until that word came to pass, until he saw the fulfillment where his brothers literally humbled themselves, bowed down, broken men, changed men, and they bowed down before Joseph. Until he saw that come to pass, the word of the Lord tried him. It was that word that he had from God that tested him, that kept him going, that kept him stable. And I can testify to this in my life that any good thing that I've ever experienced, which I know I'm not a perfect example, but man, you don't know where I've come from. You don't know where I'm going. I tell you, God's been good to me. I am blessed, blessed, blessed. And any good thing in my life, it has been that dream the vision that God placed in my heart back on March the 23rd, 1968. And that has been burning in me, that word, the revelation that God gave me, that He had a purpose for my life, that I was supposed to be completely committed unto Him. I was supposed to share His word and reach people all over the world. Man, for decades, I didn't see anything that looked consistent with what God had spoken to me, but that word tried me. It kept me. It uh, purified me. And it has taught me a lot of things. And I've learned a lot, a lot of stuff through the testimony of Joseph and not only him, but all of the scriptures. So I'm saying all of these things. I take all of this teaching on Joseph and I'm just giving it to you and sharing it with you to say that some of you, I, you know, the Bible says that there's no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You don't have different things facing you. The Bible says there's nothing new. It's not any different. You, it's the same principle. God has a purpose for every one of you. Many of you have already got a glimpse of that and you've seen and you've headed in that direction, but you are going through that period of time where nothing looks consistent with what God has put in your heart. And in the same way as I have used these verses and God has used them to keep me going and it touched Joseph, I offer all of this to you and say that if you would take a lesson from Joseph and learn these things, God will eventually bring you through and all of these visions and things that God has placed in your heart will come to pass if you faint not. You've got to stay strong. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. So again, I just offer this teaching to you and I pray that God is going to use this and praise God I believe that what His purposes and plans are for your life will come to pass.